Hey Central, well, I'm so disappointed that I'm not with you this morning. Uh, it's been quite a day. So we've spent the whole day at airports trying to get back to Norfolk and it's been delay after delay after delay. And now we're stranded in Chicago overnight. We didn't know what was gonna happen. And um, so probably the time you're watching this, we'll hopefully be on a plane, but we really don't know what tomorrow holds. And I think that maybe Mordecai felt the same way as we're going through our story of Esther. Will did a great job last week just walking us through Esther chapter 5. And really where Esther uh, 5 leaves off is with Haman building the gallows for Mordecai to be executed. And so Mordecai, you know, his days seem numbered. You might not know what is coming next for Mordecai. Well, things may not be exactly as they seem. We'll see that this morning as we go through Esther chapter 6 this morning. We'll do it in a little bit different of a way. So you'll have an opportunity to watch me on the screen. I wish I was there in person. And then you'll also have some opportunity just to dialogue with each other. Let, let's go ahead and begin and just kind of read Esther chapter 6 together, verses 1 through 14. It reads, That night the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. When Haman entered, the king asked, What should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with the royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Esther had prepared. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes God works with just his visible hand of miracles. And other times God works with his invisible hand of providence. And we see that throughout the scriptures. And now here, King Xerxes, we're just kind of catching ourselves up in the story. He's given permission 
to Haman to go and really have all the Jews executed. He didn't really know what he's done. He's just kind of signed off on it. Haman was kind of slick in the way that he presented it to it, uh, presented it to King Xerxes. And now King Xerxes, well, he's having a sleepless night. Have you ever had a sleepless night? Sure, we've all had sleepless nights where things keep us awake, our mind just won't shut off, and that's happening with happening here with King Xerxes. And perhaps he thought to himself, well, if I just have the chronicles read to me about like the history of my kingdom, maybe that will put me to sleep. Or maybe he had some business that he thought he needed to take care of. We don't really know the reason, but he wants the chronicles of his kingdom read to him. And as they're being read, something that happened several years ago with Mordecai, he hears it and he asks the question, hey, what did we ever do for this guy? And the, his advisors tell him, hey, we didn't do anything for him. And, well, the king is distressed. We have to honor him. Ah, this guy saved my life. We've got to do something. And so, hey, who, who's in the court today? Who, who's one of my advisors? Who I can call in and, and ask about what should be done. And so, who's in? Well, Haman. And it's just ironic the way you see. It's almost humorous. God's hand, his invisible hand of providence working in this situation. And Haman runs in and he's, he hears the king and he thinks to himself, Oh, what should be done for the one the king delights to honor? Well, who would the king delight to honor other than me? He must be talking about me. And so you see the pride of Haman coming out. And it's all God's providence. See, here's the thing. Sometimes, you know, we just kind of say that things just amount to coincidence. Or you know, we wonder if God is really working. You know, when we read through the story of Esther, even though God's name is never mentioned, you see his invisible hand of providence working time and time again. And it gives us confidence that in our own lives, we can assume God's invisible hand of providence is at work. And so assume that in your life, that God's, uh, that assume God's providence, that he is working, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it doesn't seem like it. Even when you wonder where God is, God is working. And so we, we, have, we can take that confidence from just reading here the story of Esther. The king knows he has to make it right. Haman comes in and Haman, it is funny the way the providence is here working. And Haman, he's thinking to himself, okay, the king wants to honor me. Now, since he wants to honor me, what do I really want? And so he says, oh, well, the what you should do for the one that the king delights to honor. I mean, hypothetically speaking, whoever this guy might be, I think maybe you should have one of the robes that you wore and clothe him in that and then take a horse that you've ridden and let him ride on that. Put your seal, the crest, right on the, the head of the horse. And, and then uh, maybe you should have people go before and just yell out, this is what is done for the one that the king delights to honor. Have a whole parade. It'll be great. Yes, that's what you should do, king. Well, King Xerxes, he hears this and he says, that's a great idea, Haman. Make sure it happens. Don't leave any detail out. Make sure all this happens for Mordecai the Jew. Now, Haman is wanting to see the king, to talk to the king about the gallows that he has prepared for Mordecai the Jew. So while Haman has prepared gallows for the Jew, he has also unbeknownst to him, suggested to the king that Mordecai should be given this place of honor. You see this pride 
of Haman all coming out. And so when you step back and look at Haman and you think about it, you know, he's got a lot going for him. He's rich, uh, you know, so much money that he was going to put a whole lot of money in the king's treasury just so he could kill the Jews. Uh, he's powerful. Uh, people have to bow down before him when they come in and into uh, his presence. He's a trusted advisor to the king, so he's making policy decisions. He's got a lot of things going for him. He's famous. People know who he is. Uh, but it's not enough because he's proud. You know, it's interesting. Uh, St. Augustine, the ancient church uh, father, he said that pride is, is the is pregnant with all other sins so that the root of uh, pride it leads forth into all other types of sin what i want you to do right now is just uh we'll, we'll get back together in just a moment but just here for a moment what i'd like you to do is is just get together with a couple people around and just look at this passage and just ask uh this question how do i see pride working in my own life? How do I see pride working in my own life? And you can talk about the pride of Haman if you'd like in your groups, but just talk about that just for a few minutes and then we'll come back together again, all right? All right, so I hope you had a good time discussing that in your groups. And you know, as I was thinking about it, it kind of struck me that when you look at Haman's pride, where it led him, well, he wanted the robes of his king. He wanted the horse of his king. He wanted the nobleman, the king's nobleman. He wanted the praise of the kingdom. Ultimately, Haman, where pride led him, he wanted to be like his king. You know what? I think we all want to be like our king, don't we? We want to emulate our king. We want to be like our king. We, we, we want to be like our king. Problem is for Haman, he had the wrong king. He had a king who was proud, not humble. He had a king who used people, didn't love people. He had a king who wanted all the glory for himself, never shared the glory with others. I mean, this was the king he had. And so the question comes for us is, well, who's our king? I mean, really? You know, it's one thing to say King Jesus, but who do we emulate? Who do we model our lives after? Who, who do we want to shape us? And that becomes an important question. It also is, gives us a window into the pride in our own life. Do we focus on Jesus or is our focus somewhere else? You know what's interesting? Is after all this happens, after everything happens, Haman, he's forced to be the one to put the robe on Mordecai, which is this ironic twist in the plot. And he and he goes home after, for him, what must have been a terrible day. He was hoping that he could convince King Xerxes to allow him to, to ex, uh, execute Mordecai early. And now, well, he's just had to lead Mordecai on a parade. So he goes home and he tells his wife and he tells his advisors. And right there, though, he, it's something ironic happens. He tells his wife, you know, Haman so wants to be like his king. What he doesn't even see is that in some ways, he's a lot better off than his king. Because Haman, he actually goes home to his wife. They live under the same roof. They're talking. I mean, Xerxes and Esther, there's, there's not much of a relationship there. I mean, Esther, she's wondering if the king would hold out uh, his scepter to her when, when she approached. I mean, the king hadn't spoken to her for over 30 days until she went 
and approach the king. I mean, there's not much of a relationship. Uh, Haman, though, he has a relationship with his wife, Zeresh. And what's more, it seems as if Haman and his advisors gives them way better advice. You know, King Xerxes' advisors, every time we see them giving him advice, it's always bad advice. But here, Haman's advisors, they actually give him pretty good advice. They say, hey, Mordecai, the guy that you hate so much, he's going to lead to your downfall. I mean, you're toast. You know, you plotted against him. He's a Jew. And, and now, well, things are turning. This is not going to be good for you. You're a dead man, Haman. I mean, they actually sound prophetic. Uh, and what's the result of this? Well, they're all sorry. I mean, you see this deep sorrow that begins to take place. They're sorrowful, but they're not repentant. You need to understand that. There's a huge gulf between sorrow and grieving and repentance. Uh, worldly sorrow grieves the effects of sin. Okay, Worldly sorrow looks and it just feels bad for the situation that you're in. It feels bad for the situation that other people are in. Worldly sorrow does that. But see, godly repentance does something else entirely because godly repentance causes you to focus on Jesus Christ as Lord and it commits your life to him. It's okay, whatever you call of me, this is what I want to do. And so where, where godly repentance ultimately leads is disciple making because this is what God calls us. And so it it, does it begin with some sorrow? Yes, it's sorrow over sin. But our focus doesn't stay on the sin. It shifts to, to Jesus as Lord and understand that he's Lord over all this. And so that's the difference. Grieving over sin accomplishes nothing without repentance. And repentance looks and says that, you know what? Pride, my problem is pride. Self is my addiction. This is what I must rid of myself of. And if you think, you know, sometimes we think that, okay, if I want to get rid of pride, i got to focus on humility. That's not it at all. If you want to become a humble person, you don't focus on humility. You don't tell yourself, I just got to be more humble. I just got to be more humble. I just got to be more humble. All you're doing is thinking about yourself and what you've got to do. Now, if you want to get rid of pride, if you want to become a more humble person, you focus on Jesus. You fill your mind up with who he is and who he says you are. That's how you rid yourself of pride. You rid yourself of pride by focusing on Jesus. You know, Haman, he served at the delight of the king in the Persian kingdom, but he was ultimately serving himself. His mind was consumed with him. And so, yeah, there's some sorrow over the events that are happening, but there's no godly repentance. And as you look at Haman and you look at who our king is, King Jesus, you see this, this incredible parallel. Haman wanted to be the man that the king delights to honor, but Jesus alone is the man that the king delights to honor. Haman wanted to wear the king's robes. Jesus was stripped of his robes. Haman wanted to wear the king's crown. Jesus was forced to wear a crown of thorns. Haman never repented of his sin. Jesus, he had no sin to repent of. Haman plotted to kill all of God's people. Jesus died 
for all people. Haman wanted the king to honor him publicly. Jesus, he was stripped and shamed publicly. Haman would not forgive one man for one thing. Jesus, he forgives anyone of anything. Haman planned to crucify his enemy. Jesus was crucified for his enemies. Haman raised himself up and was taken down from glory to death. But Jesus humbled himself and was raised up from death to glory. Haman longed for a parade that was all about his glory. And you know what? We long for the day of the second coming of our, our Lord Jesus Christ, where there's a parade and it's all for his glory. Haman became proud like his king, King Xerxes. But by God's grace, we can be humble like our king, King Jesus. I'd like you to take these last few minutes and just pray together, but ask the question, what, what is Jesus calling me how, how to do? What is Jesus calling me to do? Where I can just show that he is my king. Because the thing is, we all want to be like our king.